Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You can't censor us. This is Uncensored Parenting. Talking about the shit no one else will. You've got questions? We've got, well, we've got perspectives. Coming up on today's show, we sit down to discuss puberty with Samantha Huggins, who is a birth worker and facilitator. We talk about how equipping our kids with knowledge on bodies and puberty creates less chaos and develops a sense of control of self. That teaching all kids about all body parts and all puberty experiences helps develop acceptance for everyone. We learn that puberty isn't just about periods and ejaculation, but helping kids see that they are valuable members of the community. We also learn the power of creating puberty as a celebration and a rite of passage. And of course, you don't want to miss out on Samantha's best parenting advice on puberty. Welcome to Uncensored Parenting. Hello, everyone. On today's show, we have Samantha Huggins. Samantha is a facilitator, educator, and a perinatal health supporter. Samantha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, you pretty much covered it. I am a parent. Um, I live in New York City and have done all of my parenting in New York City so far, um, which is intense. <laughs> uh, but it's been it's been great. And um yeah, I've been working as a, a birth worker doula um, for over a decade now, uh, which is work I really enjoy and is very hard. Um, and, you know, and you can't do this work without getting a little political sometimes. Um, so, you know, so activism is is an essential piece of that work and being involved in community. And I think that's really it. You know, it's like, I just, I came to this work because, you know, community and family is the way forward. And I believe that um, when we start that journey with the most uh, information that we could possess with the best sense of agency, um, it just, it's just puts you right foot forward for what comes next, which is the long road of uh, parenting, you know, until the end. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So we want to talk about puberty today. What is a great time to start talking to your kids about puberty? Immediately. Um, I, I, I really do. I really do believe that. And, you know, we... As a birth worker, I am in a unique position in my community that I have seen, you know, even at my kids' schools, I have seen so many people whose children go to school there. I've seen them naked. I have seen their children be born. Their kids go to school with my kids. Their kids are older than my kids. They're younger than my kids. And I actually do get that question a lot 
which is, you know, when do I start talking to my kids about this? And in many instances, because I've been doing this for so long, it's like my kid is very close to getting their period or how do I talk to my kid about their bodies? Right. And so I have had this conversation many, many times and, you know, and and we've had that conversation in our family too, about when do we start this? And for me, I have, we have always been um, an open door family. And I think that many people are surprised to find out that they're not quite as open door as they thought they were going to be. Right. And, and then they find themselves suddenly in this position going, Oh, wait a minute. I don't, you know, I just found my kids underwear wadded up underneath their bed. And it seems as though they may have gotten their period. What do I do now? Right. Yeah. yeah. I had, I had that experience myself. I didn't actually know what it was. Um, and I was really young. I was in fourth grade and I was like, Oh my God, what is happening to me? And I was literally thought I was dying and I didn't want my parents to be upset with me. So I didn't talk to them about it. Um, and then of course, you know, after they had found out what was going on, they were incredible with talking to me about it. But had I known before, I don't, I think I would have had a much different experience. It wouldn't have felt so scary to me. It may, yeah, who knows, you know, it, it may not have been scary at all. It may have still been scary, but, um, you know, kind of going back to what I was talking about before, when we're armed with information, things tend to be less, they feel less chaotic and less frantic and, um, you know, and, and maybe even offers a little bit more of a sense of control of oneself. And we see that very thing that you're talking about play out all the time when people are having babies, right? Maybe not understanding their own anatomy, adults, right? It's, yeah. I mean, we, we, we have that misconception all the time. We refer to our vulva as a vagina and just totally ignore everything else that's happening down there. Yeah, I mean, we we've had so many conversations around how do you talk to your kids around about like actually naming their body parts to be an accurate body part and not, you know, the name. Yeah, and I mean, I think a vulva or a vagina or whatever could be totally could be like a hoo ha or whatever you want to call it, as long as we're still acknowledging like the majesty of a clitoris the importance of perinatal health or of, um, of your perineum and how to care for it. Right. How to, how to care for your vulva, how to care for your vagina that, um, you know, a labia is as unique as a thumbprint. And that's really amazing. Like these are the kinds of things, these are the kinds of conversations we can be having with, with every gender about their body parts, but also about the other, you know, other body parts. Right. So it's like, I, in our house, for example, you know, as I mentioned before, we kind of had this open door thing, which I know isn't everybody's cup of tea. And when I say open door, I mean like, you know, the bathroom door, maybe not the bedroom door, but you know, but the bathroom door and my kids definitely saw me naked. Like I see them naked. Like it's not a thing for us in our house that we don't have a lot of shame around our bodies. And it's also up to the individual in our home about what that means, right? So for one of my kids, they feel a little bit more protective of who sees their body 
And so they shut their door. And then I've got another kid that walks from the bathroom to their bedroom with, you know, just soaking wet. And I'm like, you're dripping floor water everywhere. You know? So it's like, um, you know, I think the, the conversations, the earlier we start them and the more open we are to how our children also respond to those conversations. Right. So it's also this like embodied listening piece and following their lead on what they want to hear. A three-year-old doesn't need to hear about everything. Right. But they can know that maybe their sibling who is, has a different, um, body part exists and that it, and that they're awesome and that they're capable of doing things. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I hear you really like there's this normalizing of the body, um, as kids grow up, like how is that, how does that contribute to like, um, talking about puberty or kids understanding puberty? So I, I believe that body literacy is, um, you know, when we when we have body literacy really early on, it makes the conversation much easier later, right? So we're not necessarily talking about, you know, sex with a three year old. We're, we're we're not having that conversation most likely, right? But you know, but maybe if your son saw your period products. And your daughter saw your period products or your children see your period products. They know what they're for. When those things happen to them later, it becomes less of an issue, right? When we talk to kids about like erections, right? Then, you know, I mean, (laughs) I remember my son, when he was really small, he was came into the living room and he was crying one day and my daughter and I said, oh my goodness, what's the matter? And he said, I just realized you guys don't have a penis. And he was like, so sad for us, like genuinely bummed. And then I looked at my daughter and she was pissed. (laughs) Because she was like, what are you talking about? Like my vulva is amazing. And I'm just sitting there like, what is this conversation? Clearly my children but, you know, but but then it makes it easier down the road and we can continue to add. This isn't a one and done conversation either. Right. And that's that's kind of what I'm getting to. So it's like when we start with body literacy early on, it just makes it, it uh, creates normalcy around the conversations around our bodies, which are not taboo. Right. Our bodies are not machines. We don't have to rely on mechanics to fix, you know. I mean, sometimes we do, right? But for the most part, when we have just basic understanding of like the physiology of our bodies, as we get older, we can continue to build on that. So the puberty talk is, it's not, you know, it's not like a one and done in that model, right? It's just layered upon, right? So my daughter, has known about periods for ages. So is my son, because I want my son to be willing to go buy tampons and pads and cups, or like maybe even carry them in his backpack since half of his friends are, have a uterus. Yeah. You know, wouldn't yeah. that be dope? Oh, I think that'd be awesome. That would have been great growing up. <laughs> Absolutely. I love this point about the body literacy and and as a key point. So like, what are some other key points that parents should talk to their kids about around puberty? 
Um, I mean, in, in my dream world, we would also talk to kids about, and, you know, and this was something that we did in, um, when I was even working on curriculum, like radicalized sex education programming. Um, I helped to develop some curriculum around that, um, many years ago. And one of the pieces of that for us was that we want people to also see themselves with these bodies in the community, right? As a way to make connections, right? So it's like one of the steps, one of the things obviously that happens with puberty, it's not just about like periods and ejaculation, right? And body hair and BO. It's about who we are in our communities while those things are happening. It's like a multiplicity, right? There's like many things and there's many layers, right? So it's like our kids are going out into the world. They're maybe having feelings. They're noticing each other in this new way because their hormones are raging, right? So like, what is your responsibility to yourself and to your community as, as that change is happening for you? Right. So like maybe understanding that the positions of power that come with having a penis or maybe like a penis on a white body, even right, more intense or having um, a vulva, you know, and 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 the realities around that. Right. So it's like, how are we helping each other? How are we holding each other? How are we standing up for one another? And 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 seeing that they are valuable members of our community right and so with that comes self-respect self-responsibility and the responsibility to look out for one another um so that's a really important piece to me in the puberty conversation of like who you are as a community member and many cultures do really like do that already right like um a bar and bat mitzvah, for example, the Jewish community when someone turns 13 or like quinceaneras, you know, it's like the ways in which we welcome each other into this next phase of their lives. Yeah, it makes me think of like, um, for the first time, like I had never even heard of this until like a year and a half ago, but like the red tents and the, mm-hmm. the seeds or the white seed or something to that extent of, I never mm-hmm. even fathomed because I didn't grow up viewing my puberty as something powerful and something exciting and a rite of passage that I was experiencing. And that like hearing other people speak of, of having a ritual, like a red tent, or even the boys having, I believe it was called a white seed or whatever it was called. Um, and it's like, how do I do that for my kids? Like, how do I celebrate that, create that rite of passage and to say, here's how, you know, now how are we showing up in this world and contributing to our community? And I I, I mean, I've never heard um, this part of puberty be spoken of. And I actually, I really like it. So like the, when you brought it up, it's like, oh yeah, this, like, this is totally a thing that people are doing. Um, yeah. And what, I mean, are there other rituals or, or pieces? I, I don't know if you can speak on, you know, some of those red tents or. I mean, um, I really can't, unfortunately. Um, I can tell you what we did in my family for me. Uh, when I turned 13, we went 
you know, my, my mom gathered a bunch of, um, my girlfriends and we, I grew up in Arizona and we all went up to, um, a really beautiful spot just North of Sedona called slide rock. And we hung out there for the day and I am a water person like through and through and through. So we just spent the day hanging out by this Creek, um, where the rocks are slick from the water and just riding around on natural slides and cliff diving. And it was really, really fun. And then at the end of the day, we all sat together and my mom, I don't even remember what she said. I kind of blocked that part out to be honest, because it was a little embarrassing. So I was 13, but, um, you know, but she talked to all of us about, just, you know, how cool it is that we're all here in our lives now and how special we are and how important we are. And, um, and it was really, it was, it was really meaningful. I mean, it's definitely like a core memory. It's something that I think about and, you know, and I have talked to other parents who've been interested in doing things like that and they have done things like that. Um, and then sometimes kids don't want it. So I also really encourage people to, again, listen to your kids empowering our kids means like listening to them. Right. And then maybe following through on their requests and honoring what they, what they want and what they don't want. Um, yeah, but I can't really, I can't really speak to. Yeah. um, The idea, the idea though, what I hear you saying is just having this moment of appreciation for this change in our Mm -hmm. lives, right. It's a big transition. um, Yeah. And I think another really important piece to talk about with our kids as they really start to go through that transition is like masturbation and pornography right and like that I think is and like social media and you know and using phones and and I think that 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 one that's that's very push button right like that's a hard, very hard conversation for a lot of people to have because they don't, we don't want to have it ourselves, right? Like people feel really freaked out about it, but I come from a place in saying that because partially like when, in terms of masturbation, it's, I think it's an important thing to talk about. And I know it's a radical statement, but I think it's an important conversation to have with our kids because if they don't know that they are capable of pleasuring themselves, they're going to seek that wherever else they can find it. And we know that that does not necessarily lead to the best um, relationships. Right. And, um, and sometimes it does, but (laughs) But, but, you know, not the ones that we want for our kids necessarily. And then in terms of pornography, I think it's a really important conversation to have too, for a lot of reasons. One, understanding about exploitation, right, is, is really important, right? So it's like, I, I've had many friends reach out and say like, oh my God, you know, it turns out my kid is masturbating to porn. And I'm like, cool, let's teach them about the diff about like what it is, what ethical porn is versus unethical porn, right? Like who, who's getting paid? Do they have health insurance? Are they being cared for? You know, like, I mean, you know, sex workers deserve everything that everybody else wants in terms of being cared for at work. Right. So like, 
you know, maybe offering to pay for a service for your kids or like buying a masturbation tool for your kid or something. And you don't obviously, you know, um, you don't, it doesn't have to go, the conversation doesn't have to go too deep in directions, but, but, you know, I just, I just think that that's a really critical piece, right? Is that we're having these conversations about pornography, about masturbation, um, which again, that also ties into our responsibility as community members, right? That we're doing things ethically and that we're thinking about it because we're not thinking about it when we're that age. Yeah, definitely. I think there's this piece that you brought up there about the responsibility that I'm thinking about is like, as a parent, it is a responsibility to talk about these things and bring them in the open because they happen. We all know that they happen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's it's that community responsibility of like, here's how you can do it. And here's how everybody can enjoy it who's involved in the process. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. Yeah. So um, I know you had, had mentioned this prior, but you were uh, a little bit prior. You had said about, you know, making sure that, you know, boys know about girls and girls know about boys. Um, just in terms of like, is it important that they know not just their own puberty, but the experience of another gender? Yeah. Right. Like, doesn't that make sense? Uh, you know, yes. if, if, it does. <laughs> it does. I mean, if, if, if we're like, why keep secrets? Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially when the, those, that's like, I don't know about you know, everybody, but like my kids are friends with everybody. Right. And And, there's this inclusive piece that I feel to what you're saying of like, it's not creating almost this like piece of like, I don't hear like, oh, we're all different. So we can't know about this because that's not you. It's more of celebrating everyone is really what I'm hearing. And so then along this line, like, you know, what about if a parent has a child who's non-binary, um, is the suggestion still the same of just talking about both? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Talking about all of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, certainly kids these days, kids these days, right? Certainly kids these days, they have, they're so lucky because they have access to language that so many you know, certainly my generation didn't have a deep understanding of, um, you know, of, of, of sexuality, of gender. Um, these kids are, are armed to the gills with information now and are really questioning and, and curious about themselves and, and able to describe it in ways that we just, honestly, we really didn't have the words you were a boy or a girl or a tomboy or whatever, you know, probably something pretty derogatory if you were a feminine male. And that was kind of it. And like queerness existed as you were a lesbian or you were a homosexual or, you know, a variety of slurs. And that, that was all we got. You know, now like 11 year old kids are, no, no, they just, they have so much more language and it's so abundant and amazing, you know? And I mean, even just listening to my kids talk about 
you know, gender and sexuality. At one point I asked one of my kids, I was like, are y'all making out with each other? Cause like, how do you guys, you know, it's like, how do you guys know about all of this? And, and they were like, ew, mom, no, <laughs> you know, not at all. Like we just, you know, it's just, they're just listening to themselves in this way that my generation was not encouraged to. And I think that that's really incredible. So yeah, I would say the conversation's the same and, you know, and that we're talking about queerness with our kids that might be cishet and that we're talking about, you know, cishet and what that means with our queer kids. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's really room for all of it. And when we include all of it, it, kind of just it lifts that like veil of mystery right and it, and there's one thing if i've seen in all of my years of service and you know and and working with families is like when we don't know we are scared and when we are scared we get real weird and you know fear comes out as violence fear comes out as, out as anxiety and depression fear comes out as suppression of emotions right it's like fear doesn't typically go in a direction that works well for anyone i i think that those conversations are important to be as inclusive as you can be yeah yeah i think that's the piece of like inclusivity and just um creating a normal um like normalcy to like this is normal that our bodies go through this um, and it's normal that we, things change and we feel certain things. And, you know, to tie into some of your, you know, as kids go through puberty, uh, sexuality begins to um, come online. And it's important that we talk about that with the kids because, you know, when you start developing intense feelings or attractions that you hadn't had in childhood, it can sometimes feel overwhelming or scary. And if it's not talked about, like you said, then other behaviors could, you know, arise from that. So it's important that we are talking about all of the things that encompass puberty, not just what happens to our body in terms of like the bleeding or, you know, ejaculate for the first time, but actually talking about like the feelings that the sensations that begin to arise. Yeah. You know, and I think another thing that we can think about as, we're maybe bracing ourselves for puberty conversations, right? Is remembering that all of this is part of an arc, right? So none of this is a singular event that happens in a person's life. All of these things are happen is as part of a continuum. And, you know, and so none of this is one and done. It's all interconnected and our exposure to everything that we're exposed to over our lives impacts the that next point on on the spectrum that we're living right um so you know all that to say though too right it's like when we're having puberty talks and i know i'm saying like start at you know as soon as they're born right we're going to start talking about our bodies and body literacy to your listeners who haven't had that conversation yet there's always time to start it, you know, and it's okay if you start it when they're nine and it's okay if the conversation starts after puberty 
actually has started, right? It's okay to like back up and talk about it. Um, and to, you know, I, I just think the important piece of that is that we're doing it in a way that works for your family and that it feels good. Um, it, and when I say it feels good, I mean, it, it, no one feels threatened or harmed by the conversation. It's probably an uncomfortable conversation at any point. Um, you know, but, and, and that to be prepared because the questions don't necessarily happen when you all sit down on the couch and you're like, have your tea and your juice. And you're going to like, now we're going to have this talk. Like the first time my eldest asked me about sex, I was taking a shower and had to race out the door to go to a birth. And my kid comes kind of wandering in and says, mom, I have a question for you. And I said, sure. What is it? Anything, you know, what is it? And, and they're say, what sex? And I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that can't be answered right now. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I have five minutes yeah. to get this soap out of my hair and some conditioner and get myself dressed. Ah, you know, I can't do this right now. So, you know, just, just also knowing that it will probably unfurl. The conversations are going to not always unfurl, like in those moments where we think that it's going to be perfectly curated. Right. So I have a good, I'm going to change directions here a little bit, but you know, we've talked about the girls a little bit, but there's a phrase that was said to me this last summer that came up about boner shame. And, and I'm just thinking of, of boys around this age going through this change of like, you know, a breeze in the wind can get us aroused. And it's like, whoa, I don't even know what's happening. How do we start having those conversations? How do we remove the boner shame that we kind of like, I know I grew up with. It's like, it's something that I shouldn't have or something. So how do we approach that with boys? Yeah. I mean, again, I think like those early conversations, if, if that's available are great. Right. And like certainly reminding them, like, I don't know, you know, just being able to talk about that it's normal and talk about how it happens. If you know, like if you could do like a quick Google on what a boner is, and I think that's part of it, right. Is like most kids, most adults don't know what a boner is or like why it happens or what makes it, you know? So I think starting there with just the basic physiology of what's happening is a great place to start. And also, I mean, who's, who's shaming other kids about boners, except for kids who get boners. Right. So that's always a great reminder, right? It's like, Oh, really? (laughs) You know? And I mean, so, you know, it's also, that also then becomes like a like question about like, huh, I wonder what's going on in that kid's life that they feel like they need to say that to you. Yeah, it's the it's the piece of like, if we can equip kids understanding, they don't have that self shame either, like they know what's occurring. And they don't have the story. Whereas like, if you don't know what's going on, and somebody makes a comment about it, and then you're like, Oh, I'm so embarrassed, like, this is wrong, I shouldn't be doing this, instead of equipping kids with the knowledge of knowing like, these things are normal. And this is what happens. And this is what's happening. And here's how you deal with it. Right. Like yeah. here's what you do. Right. And I mean, you know, it's like, I don't know what your health class was like when you guys were kids, but for me, oh my gosh, my class was like, here's, you know, we, we almost talked 
we didn't talk really at all about, you know, the, the girls and the boys were separated. Yeah. Right. And the boys learn about boy things and the girls learn about girl things. Right. And for the girls, it was like, this is how you hide a tampon up your sleeve. Yeah. And you can still go to ballet. And for the boys, it was like, this is how you hide your boner and get some deodorant. Right. And like that, that was it. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we're rooting health class and shame, Mm. that's what, that's what the kids are going to do. They're they're going to feel shame and they're going to shame each other to feel better. I didn't even think about how that actually teaches shame. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even realize that because it really does. Cause you're talking about how do you hide these things? Yeah. Mm. Right. When, when we were doing our class, we would lay out Ida- the items that were for girls and for boys for everybody. Right. So like boys or the person with a penis, a kid with a penis would play with menstrual cups would like make body armor out of pads would, you know what I'm saying? And like girls, kids with a uterus would see condoms and would experiment with them. Right. In a way that was empowering and just like a playful exploration really normalized, like, and not even sexualized, just like these are tools that are in the artillery of being a person with a body like this. And that's all there is to it, you know? Um, So, yeah. So I think when we're thinking about, you know, boner shame, when we're thinking about shaming kids because their feet smell or body odor or acne, a big piece of that is just remembering where they're getting their information from. Right. So today we're talking about, TikTok and Instagram, like all these social media outlets, and depending on how your kids tune into that information, they will continue to be fed more of that specific variety, right? So it's like, if we're, if your kid's into, I don't know, you know, gothy stuff, right? Then like, they're going to see more goth, more goth, more goth, more goth, right? If they're into football playing, Football players are going to see more football, more football, more football, right? So if we're having conversations with our kids, maybe they'll start even like it can even help to change their algorithms because they're going to feel less shame about something. They're going to maybe spend less time watching like the things that feed them more of that same negative message. Hmm. You know? Yeah, that's I mean, social media contributes so much to that. Um really does. Yeah. So, well, this has been very eye-opening. I didn't even think about how puberty consists of so much more. Like I literally, when, when I was like, Oh, I want to talk to somebody about puberty and you know, how do we talk to our kids about it? In my mind, it's like, let's talk about like what happens when you get your period or like what happens when you have a nocturnal emission. But I didn't even fathom the amount of stuff that actually needs should be talked about during puberty or uh, building up to, or, or after if, if that's your case, but um, it's definitely a lot more than just that. 
Yeah. And I think there's another really important piece that doesn't get discussed when we're talking with our kids about puberty, which is the grief that comes Mm. with puberty for kids. You know, there's there. And certainly in America, we struggle with grief. We do not, we are not great at grief as a general culture within, you know, the microcultures within that exist um, in the U S there are, there is grief culture, but it's not mainstream. Right. And there is grief for children as they are becoming teens, as they are being sexualized by society. That is, that's hard. That's hard on our kids. You know, so I think that's another piece, right? It's like when your kids go into middle school and suddenly there's this like dress code. Why? You know? Yeah, especially because their identity too is so big around that age. And then when a dress code happens and they can't express themselves um, in the way that they need to, to develop their identity, um, it yeah. can be really impactful. And, you know, and that, that's heavy on parents, right? Because it's like, now we're faced with something we've never thought about, which is like telling our children, who are children still, that in the eyes of adults around them, that they are now sexual beings, mm-hmm. but don't be, but you are, but don't be, but you are, but don't be. It's confusing as fuck. And really... And really hard to to bear witness to, you know. I'm I like it, it's it, it's a tough one. Yeah. And I think it's one that that really blindsides parents. Yeah. Oh I yeah. I mean, I think we experienced that with my own son. Um he definitely went through a grief period and it was like everything was upsetting or he struggled um with really I wouldn't say being happy but he just had a very intense period and then of course you know we began to hear his voice drop and things started changing and he he did come out of that grief period but I didn't even I didn't even realize that that's probably what it was a part of was the whole puberty process yeah you know, and hormone cycling is real, right? And that definitely affects our mental yeah. health. And um, I mean, gosh, I'm, I'm so lucky that I work in a field where, you know, I have been tracking my own hormonal cycle for so long that it's like, I know that I'm going to have a hard time sending emails at this, you know, <laughs> during these like weeks. And I watch it, I watch for it in my my kids too, you know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know where we are right now, but you know, but, but that's, that's kind of a little off topic, I guess, but really, you know, talking about that grief piece and, and the hormone, the hormonal changes and yeah, you know, there, there is just this, this element for it. It's like, we don't even think about. And when I think back on being a kid, it's like, I think there was a period where I just really fell out of sorts and lost in space. And since that there was like absolutely no acknowledgement of what that transition could be for a, a human being emotionally. I mean, we recognize that getting older, right. But it's like when you're going from middle, you know, like that middle age thing, right. It's like, 
men, you know, are expected to like go get a Corvette and have like some sort of midlife crisis. And then women go into menopause. Right. And like, those are, and, and so we're expected to freak out, but why don't we hold that same, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. why are we not like holding that? And why are we not caring for people during those times so yeah. that they don't have to have that experience? Yeah. And why aren't we doing that for our children? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So our big question um, for you on the show is what is your best parenting advice for parents on this topic? I mean, just start, just start, just start having the conversation. Just start wherever you are today, you know, and it doesn't matter if, if it's perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. Let go of the perfection and just start. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay. So if people want to connect with you or kind of find out more information, where can they find you online? Um, SamanthaHuggins.com. Okay. Would be a great place to start. And you can, yeah, just climb in there. There's a, a contact page and you can reach me that way. Awesome. Samantha, thank you so much for being here today and sharing all your knowledge with us around puberty. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Uncensored Parenting. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Uncensored Parenting Podcast. We're out. Electric Acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baclaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interview. Electric acid.